last Sunday I was talking about what I call letters from lockdown. I was looking at these letters uh, from lockdown, which are letters that Paul wrote to the early Christian church while he was in prison, first under house arrest in Rome, and secondarily when he was actually in a dungeon in Rome. And we were looking at this idea that Paul was in a forced lockdown. Paul didn't have a choice about his lockdown circumstances. And even though he was physically distanced from the people that he loved, he was still with them in spirit. We saw how he connected with them via prayer. He prayed for them. In all of the letters he writes, in, when he writes to the Philippians, to the Colossians, to the Ephesians, he keeps on saying, I always remember you in my prayers. I'm constantly praying for you. And he encourages the believers themselves to also pray and to remember the saints, to remember the Christians at all times in all of their prayers. And so though he was physically trapped and he was physically chained, his prayers were not chained. And even though he was physically tied down, the gospel that he represented was actually making great strides throughout the empire. The lockdown of the gospel was failing in Paul's life. I want to look at another aspect of the letters that he wrote tonight because he wrote lots of different aspects. But I want to look again just for one second at the breakdown of broadly how these letters look when you read them in your Bible. Just the first thing to remember is that these were dangerous documents. I think it's very important to remember that when we read these letters, we're not reading these letters like just regular letters to someone. The people who were carrying these letters were carrying dangerous documents. Some of the statements in them could be really badly misconstrued. In actual fact, uh, Peter writes in 1 Peter that people were continually misconstruing what Christians were saying and they were making it out to be evil. And so it was very easy for anybody with that kind of mind as I said on Sunday, to the evil all to the evil and corrupt, and to the crooked all things are corrupt and evil, but to the pure all things are pure. To those who had that mindset, they could easily misconstrue what Paul was saying as rebellion, representing rebellion, or a bad lifestyle against the Roman Empire. But let me look at the broad line. How do they go? They go very simply like this. They talk about who God is and what God has done for us. He writes it in Ephesians. He opens the letter to the Ephesians saying about our spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. How, where we stand before God because of what Jesus has done. And I hear you say spiritual blessings. But what about like real lifestyle blessings? The spiritual blessings are really the ones that matter. Because when we look at our physical blessings in our life. Anyone can have them. But only Christians can have the spiritual blessings. Anyone can have the physical blessings of a, of a home or relationships or family or health. Anybody can have them. But only Christians, only those who trust in Jesus Christ can know those spiritual blessings. Look them up, Ephesians chapter 1, if you're bored and you've been there. Then he goes on to say about who we were and who we now are, which is an aspect I want to look at tonight very briefly. He looks at who we were, who we were before we became Christian believers, and who we are now and what that means. And then he goes on to point out how that means, how we should live now, how it is that we should live out our lives now in light of those realities. There were four letters I was talking about specifically, and they were Ephesians, they were Philippians, Colossians, and the letter to his friend Philemon. Now, these letters were carried by four guys, but I want to look at something slightly different. Because I'm a bit of a nut job, and I do things that are a bit unusual, when I was reading these letters last week, I, I did a little experiment. I did an experiment. Now, I'm not the fastest reader in the world. I'm probably about a mid-tempo reader compared to some people who read really swiftly, other people read really slowly. I'm probably about right in the middle. So I read these letters, and I read them aloud, not out in the street, but I read them aloud at home, just in case you're wondering. What I wanted to do is I wanted to see how long does it take to read these letters? Just for what it's worth. So here's what it goes. 
It took me 22 minutes to read the letter to the Ephesians. You'll see where I'm going in a second. It took me 14 minutes to read the letter to the Philippians. Just four chapters. It took me 14 minutes to read that. Remarkably, Colossians also took me 14 minutes. There, thereabouts, about 13 minutes and 50 seconds. And the letter to Philemon, reading out loud, relatively gentle pace, took me three minutes. So if you do the quick maths on that, you'll figure out that that's about 53 minutes. That's how long it takes to read Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. The four letters to lockdown that Paul wrote, letters from lockdown that he wrote, they, you can read them all in 53 minutes. And I reckon 53 minutes is about the length of one Netflix episode of your favourite show. So for what it's worth, maybe sometimes it would be good to set some of the stuff we're doing aside. Or in actual fact, there's probably about the length of two episodes of The Big Bang Theory or maybe uh, two episodes of Father Ted or something. I don't know. Take your pick. But you know, it took me 53 minutes to read and it is so upbuilding to the soul. And it ties in to what Paul talked about as he got into his letters. May God bless our reading of the letters tonight. We're going to be looking at Philippians. God bless us, I pray. Lord, use me. Speak through me via your Holy Spirit, Lord, into our realities and into our lives tonight. In Jesus' mighty name. I want to look at Philippians chapter 1. I've called it tonight Prayers and Priorities. And I want to look at what Paul said about some of our priorities and some of the other stuff about what he said about who we are. When you read Paul's letters, the first thing that strikes you is the emotional content of them. For Paul, this wasn't just business, it was personal. It was a deeply, deeply personal task that he was doing in writing these letters. And he communicates that so often. Let me look at Philippians chapter 1 in verse 9. He says, God knows how much I love you and I long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. That doesn't sound like a lecturer or a school teacher. That sounds like somebody whose heart is owned by the people that he's writing to. God knows how much I love you and I long for you. And these letters are full of love and loyalty and longing. All the way through them, you see the questions of loyalty and love and longing coming up time and time again. And you see Paul here, a man who's physically trapped. He can't connect with the other Christians. A bit like you know, under lockdown, you know, under effective house arrest, can't connect with the people around you. No matter how much you want to, it's just not right to do it at the moment. We can only assemble electronically, as it were. And Paul communicates that. He is filled with love and longing for them. But he says something important. He goes on to say this. I want, he goes on to say this. Let me pause my camera. He goes on to say this. He says, I want you, I pray that your love, forgive me, will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in your knowledge and understanding. This is what he says. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep growing in knowledge and understanding. Now, I looked a little bit at that on Sunday last. This is what Paul wants them to do. He wants them to grow in their knowledge of God and grow in their understanding of the work of God in their lives. That's what he wants them to do. He wants them to grow. Will you ever have an opportunity to take the time to grow personally? That you have now. Will we ever again in our lifetime. My, I didn't have it. My parents didn't have it. My grandparents didn't have it. Will we ever have an opportunity again. To take the time to grow in our knowledge. And understanding of God. And, it, it's just, and he says he wants your love to overflow. So he wants them to grow in love. Grow in knowledge. Grow in understanding. And how do we do that? How do we do that? Well can I suggest taking 53 minutes. To read Colossians. Ephesians. Philippians. And Philemon. That's how we do it. 
We read what God has already told us if we want to grow in our knowledge and understanding. It is in reading God's word. It's already there. We don't have to go up a mountain to find it. We don't have to go down under the earth to find it. It's already there. It's already in your hand. The word is very near you, as the scripture says. You don't have to go looking for it. It's already there. That's how we grow in our knowledge and understanding. But it will take an investment of time. My wife, Elma, is always saying, whatever you put your energy into, grows. Whatever you put your energy into will grow. So if you put your energy into just business, then yeah, I'm pretty certain your business will grow. If you put into your uh, social media profile, your social media profile will grow. Whatever it is that you put your energy into. But I know this, if you put your energy into learning and understanding more about God, you will grow spiritually. And maybe we'll never have an opportunity quite like this again. He goes on to say this, I want you to understand what really matters so you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. I love it. He says, I want you to understand what really matters. Do you know one of the interesting things that I've noticed has been the evisceration of first world problems since the start of the global pandemic crisis. It's been the evisceration of first world problems. I haven't seen one person complain that little Mopsy the Poodle had his fringe cut wrong by the dog groomer. Nobody once complained about it. Nobody once complained that their nail varnish was the wrong color of puce. Never saw any complaints. People have really been boiled down to what really matters. Things that really matter. There has been a simplification in the complication, as it were, of our lives. God, he wants them to understand what really matters. Because you know, so much of our lives are taken up with things really they don't really matter. So much of our energy and our passion is taken up with things that really, well, they just don't matter. Let me tell you what matters. What matters is three things. Relationships, relationships, and relationships. That's it. Relationships, relationships, relationships. Why is that? Because it is your relationships are the only thing that you will take with you beyond the grave. It is your relationships you will give in the comfort. It's relationships that you may have in heaven. And that's why the investment has to be in relationships. They're the things that really, really matter. We have to come back down to what the essentials are. What are the essentials in life? We're being reminded what the essentials are. I tell you what the essentials are. People were running around the place buying stacks of toilet paper because they wanted to have the essential. Paul didn't even have that little essential. I love it. When we're sometimes faced with either the end of our days, and in some ways, brothers and sisters, we've been given a gift. We've been presented with this opportunity right in the middle of our lives. For most of us, it's right in the middle of our lives. Maybe we're still in the prime of our lives. I think I am. I hope I am. Still in the prime of my life. And I love what Michelangelo said. Michelangelo's come to the end of his life. And Michelangelo was the, the Renaissance painter and sculptor and architect. He was a poet. I mean, he was lauded by Renaissance society, an incredibly talented Italian who painted the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, a famous man in every way. This is what he said at the end of his life. He said, for all the madness that made me take art for an idol and a king, he goes on to say, the world's frivolities have robbed me of the time I was given for reflecting upon God. Michelangelo said that, as in Michelangelo the sculptor and the painter. Michelangelo said that. If Michelangelo said that, what would we say about our lives? He was one of the most famous painters and sculptors of his time. And yet here he realizes that most of his life was taken up with frivolities. The world's frivolities. The things that are just frivolous to our lives. And brothers and sisters, Paul writes to the Christian church and he says, Lads, I want you to focus on what really matters. 
Get your eyes off the dopey stuff, the stuff that doesn't matter. Stop getting so wound up and head up and passionate about things that don't matter. Be passionate about Jesus Christ. That's what we should be passionate about. Be passionate about our faith. Be passionate about learning and understanding more about God. Be passionate about growing in love. In love with Jesus and in love with our brothers and sisters. Loving God and loving our neighbor. Simple as. He goes on to say in Philippians 1.27, and this is really important. He's talking to a Philippian church. Now, so the Philippian church was an interesting church in that its location was in a place called the Ignatian Way. And it was what was known as a free city. It was a city where most of the residents had the right to become Roman citizens. It was also a place where most of the um, military, not most of the military, but a lot of the military generals, retired generals from the Roman army would go and live because they were given land there by the emperor in Rome. And he writes to them, and he talks to them about citizenship. Here's what he says. He says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. You must live as citizens of heaven. That, first of all, is an incendiary statement because Paul is telling them that they have a higher citizenship higher than their Roman citizenship, higher than their earthly citizenship. You see, it was really important that he communicated to them what their identity was, because citizens of heaven is what their identity was, but it was also their purpose. It was also their reason for living. It was the reason God called them. They were part of the Christian diaspora, if you will. They were scattered among the nations. They, the Christians were scattered in Philippi. They were scattered all over Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. All over the Middle East, Christians were scattered. And yet they were citizens of a different empire and a different kingdom. You know, in a strange way, today we are the Christian diaspora. We're all scattered. We're not able to assemble right now other than over, over the internet. We're not able to assemble in the way that Christian churches have assembled for 2,000 years. We're not able to assemble. We are now the Christian diaspora. And we are in our homes meant to live as citizens of heaven with a higher citizenship. You see, right now we're being told to do our duty for Ireland, which is good. We should do our duty for our country. We should stay at home, save lives, protect our protect our, our health service and so on and so forth. Absolutely right. Obey the laws and so on and so forth. But you know what? We have a higher loyalty. We have a higher citizenship as Christians. And one that looks at this world and Peter writes to the early Christians, he tells them to obey the emperor and obey the rulers who are in power because God has put them in place. But then he says, but remember this, you're aliens and strangers in this world. You don't really belong here. You don't really belong here. And he goes on to say, this is what Paul goes on to say in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. He continues this theme in 3.20. He says, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our saviour. We're eagerly waiting. Now Paul seemed to be somebody who was very careful in choosing his words. We are citizens of heaven, he declared. Our loyalty is in heaven. Again, he's talking about loyalty. Our loyalty is in heaven. It's where we actually belong. The book of Hebrews describes people as being sojourners here on earth. Paul talks about people, or Peter talks about people being aliens and strangers here in the world. But his language here is interesting because he uses the term when he's writing to the Philippians about this because the Philippian 
city of Philippi was the home of the imperial cult. Now, the imperial cult was the place where the emperor, the Caesar, the emperor of Rome, was worshipped. It was established by Augustus. Augustus was the first emperor to be declared divine. He was considered himself both human and divine. He declared himself divine, and therefore he was the, he was the divine ruler of all of the Roman Empire. And so a cult began right throughout the empire. It wasn't a massive cult, but they would make offerings to the emperor. And do you know what's the curious thing about the emperor? He was known as the Lord, and he was known as the Savior, and he was known as the one who was going to bring proof of peace on earth. So when Paul is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ uh, li living in heaven where we're citizens, he's flying in the face of the imperial cult thinking that was in operation in Philippi. Not everyone in Philippi was engaged with it, but a good number of people were. And anybody who was really royal to the loyal to the emperor would have seen these remarks as incendiary. And Paul keeps on reminding the Christians, look at it, he's basically saying, what I want you to do is I want you to live with your loyalty in heaven. And you represent heaven. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, we are ambassadors, we are Christ's ambassadors. So your neighbours... You, your neighbours who may never read the Gospels will read you. You will be the representation to them of who Jesus is. You will be the representation to them of what the Christian message means, of what Jesus Christ is all about. They will only read your life if they don't read the Gospel itself. He goes on to say this when he comes back. He says, he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Can you imagine that? He will take our weak, mortal bodies. Have we ever been so conscious of how weak and how mortal our bodies are? When every night we switch on the news and we hear of more deaths and more deaths and more deaths as a result of the current pandemic crisis. More and more people dying every day. People, some being cut down in the prime of their life. Many in their, in their latter years being cut down unexpectedly. And being reminded of the weak, mortal bodies. You see, the scripture is full of reminders to us. That we are mortal. That we are temporary. That this physical flesh of ours will fail one day. And that's not a morose thing. That's not a, a sad story that we're telling. What we're telling is a good and glorious story. What we're doing is we're facing the mortal reality, which the Bible speaks about from start to finish. It starts in the Garden of Eden where mortality arrives and it ends in the book of Revelation where mortality ends for the believer. And it takes those, it takes that idea and applies God's truth to it and says we will give off our mortal bodies and they will be changed into glorious bodies using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. There's not a separate power. There isn't a mortal bodies, um, uh, immortal bodies section in heaven. He's saying it's the same power. Again, he's referencing, like I said on Sunday, about the same power that raised Christ from the dead and brought back his dead body. And he goes on to say that his body and our body will be the same. We will have same, we'll have immortal bodies like his bodies. And he said, that's the hope that's ahead of us. Like Peter says, all men are like grass and the glory is like the flower of the field. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. And that is true for me and it's true for you. But that's not a sad story for the Christian because we are citizens of heaven. And the thing about becoming a citizen is this. 
everybody has had their citizenship bought with a price. If you're an Irish citizen, for instance, and I'm an Irish citizen, my citizenship or my freedom to live as a citizen of the Republic of Ireland was bought by people who resisted British rule. I'm just giving an example, I'm not making a point. Same if you're an American. If you're an American citizen, actually as it happens, you had to resist British rule. And if you're an Indian, as it happens, you had to resist British rule. But you get the picture, okay? You know where I'm going to with that. Somebody somewhere always pays the price for the freedom and the citizenship of others. And it's the same for us. Our citizenship has been bought for us. Jesus Christ paid the price so that we could represent him as citizens. So that we could take not only the identity, but the purpose of living as heaven's citizens here on earth. This is not our permanent home, dear brothers and sisters. This is not our permanent home. At a time for Paul himself, when he realized his own death was really close, when he realized that execution was probably just around the corner when he knew he was going to stand before Nero, it was important for him to remember that this weak mortal body of his was going to be cast off. And no matter how strong we are, no matter how strong we are, it will fall away. And we know at that stage that we have a home in heaven. Heaven is our home. And why is that so important? Why is Paul trying to communicate that to Christians? Because the Christians were being inundated by the world's ideas and the world's values and Roman values and business values and all sorts of corporate values, even though they had corporations then, but they had all of these values, were being inundated in the church. And Paul was saying, no, lads, we need to keep our eyes on things above, not on things on the earth. We need to keep our eyes on the things that are not seen, not on the things that are seen. And so he goes on and he finishes off towards the, towards the end of the letter, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. He says this. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. He finishes up the letter to the Philippians before giving them some final pointers by reminding them again that he loves them and he longs to be with them. And he encourages them to keep their loyalty to the Lord. To keep their loyalty to the Lord. Let me ask you, what is your loyalty? See, I grew up with people whose loyalties lay with football teams, with gangs, well, not so much with gangs, or lay, their loyalty lay with brands, or with businesses, or whatever family groupings. Do you know, Paul is saying to us, our loyalty needs to be in the Lord. Our loyalty needs to be to Jesus Christ. Not to some Roman emperor. Not to some business guru. Not to some other philosophical guru. But to Jesus Christ himself. And that we should live out that as citizens here on earth. And he finishes off by saying he loves and he longs for them. I must say, I know what he feels like. I know what it's like to love people and to long, them, long for them and to be separated from them. Paul was separated from, from his brothers and sisters he was separated from the people he loved but they would be united again let me finish with this last verse the last verses these are from psalm 103 the love of the lord remains forever with those who fear him whatever comes and goes in our lives as we said from romans chapter 8 who can separate us from the love of god the love of the lord remains forever with those who fear him his salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant and to those who obey 
his commandments. The love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. You know, whatever happens, comes or goes in this life, in this current crisis, or whatever happens in our lives, whether it's for good, for bad, for better, or for worse, the love of the Lord remains in our lives. And we need to remain loyal to him and remember our citizenship is in heaven. I'm going to sing a song as I wrap up. When I come back in a couple of weeks' time, or on Sunday week, Tom is doing next Sunday and the following Tuesday. When I come back, I'm going to look a little bit more into what it means to walk that out when you're living up close and personal with people. What do we do with what Paul says to us when he says to the Philippian church and the Ephesian church about how they should live? But we're going to do a song and we're going to if you'd pray with me where you are now. Lord, I thank you for this strange time, Lord. Lord, though the world is changing and the circumstances are constantly changing, Lord, you never change. I thank you, Lord, that we may have an opportunity to focus on what really, really matters in life. I pray, Lord, that our priorities and our prayers would be heaven-bound and heaven-worn, Lord. I pray, Lord God, our loyalties and the deep passions of our heart would be for Jesus at this time, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would represent you well, Lord. I pray, Lord, we would live as citizens of heaven, Lord, in our dealings with our neighbors, the people that we're living at close quarters with, Lord, the people that we're dealing with in business or work, Lord, for the people who are living on the front line, Lord Jesus, and working on the front line at the moment, Lord, we pray, Lord, that they would live as citizens of heaven, Lord, and represent you well. Lord, I pray that not only for this moment and this time in our lives, but all the days of our lives, Lord, our loyalties and our love and our longing would lie in you. His body bound and drenched in tears. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone. Messiah still and all alone. Then on the third. At break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. Oh, trample death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the And I will rise. 
Jesus Christ, whether we go to see you or you come, Lord, and we are alive when you return, I pray, Lord Jesus, that it will be a delight, Lord, that it will be the day of all days, Lord, for us. Lord, it will be the fulfilling of the longing of our lives, Lord. I pray, Lord, that day we will see our citizenship in heaven in its full power and in its full merit. Until that day, may we know the love of the Lord remaining with us forever and ever. We ask that you'd bless us, Lord, and go before us and protect us and watch over us. Continue, Lord, to draw near to us. May we learn, know, and understand you more. And like Jesus, grow in favor with men and with God daily. In Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, I hope you said, Amen. God bless you, brothers and sisters. Don't forget that Tom is going to be here on Sunday morning. He's going to be coming live from his own home. Um, I'm sure the family will be with him as well. And he will be bringing it as well next Tuesday night. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for the likes. And give us a share out there in Facebook land. God bless and go with you. Thank you.